Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our draft today, Masachat Shabbat, Kuf Chav Sayin, 127. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. There was a lot of things that were interesting on this staff. Uh, before I hand it off to Ann, I just wanted to point out two little things here. Uh, one actually goes back to Chuf Chavav, which in full disclosure, I actually, when I prepped yesterday, I didn't actually read the bottom of that daf because I sort of left the new parak for today. Um, and I know that we mentioned, I think it was one or two episodes, episodes ago, that the word muksa actually doesn't appear. But it appears, um, and it's right at the bottom of that doc. So I just thought, but it's amazing to me that sort of we've had so much discussion, um, and you haven't had the actual word appear. The word actually appears. Uh, so that was the first point. Um, the second one is, is that on the bottom of Ahmed Aleph, there's this interesting story uh, with Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. The Gemara is trying to work out uh, this whole concept of being able to move uh, you know, four or five, um, I don't know, what would you call them, man? Uh, you know, baskets of food. Um, you know, is it one per each person or is it in total four or five? And they tell these stories of either the story was with Rebbe, you know, Rebbe Huda Nasi or with Rebbe Chia that they went to a field and there wasn't enough room for all the Talmidim. And so they moved them. And they said, look at how the story's told over, right? It says that Rebbe cleared the actual sheaves. And then the Gemara comes and says, wait, Rebbe actually cleared the sheaves, right? The wording is, uh, you know, it says, Toshma vi'ima Rabbi, right? It says, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi cleared the sheaves. Ulatamech, Rabbi Dinafshe Imar, right? And according to your reasoning, right, would you actually say that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi actually cleared those bundles, right? Rather, he commanded, he told other people to clear it, okay? And therefore, we conclude, right? that each individual can clear the four or five baskets. Now, what are they saying here? Why would it not be possible for Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi to actually do the clearing? Because he was the Nasi, and like this just wouldn't be work that he does. And what I thought was interesting here is, you know, I think we sometimes have this concept or, you know, we've all heard sort of stories of Talmidei Chachamim or rabbis where in a way that we say like, you know, they were so humble, nothing was beneath them. They acted like ordinary people. But here we're sort of seeing an acknowledgement of like, no, he was the Nasi, and there were certain things that the Nasi would not do because he was the Nasi. Um, and I think this is a great example of that. Um, and, you know, sort of that balance between saying that somebody, you know, behaves with anivut, with, with, with humility, but yet at the same time sort of acknowledging that the role of the Nasi was actually a very important role. And therefore, there were certain things that you sort of didn't do as the Nasi. So I just like that little, you know, little pearl that I think was well hidden in that story. Um, okay, so I think what happens on the staff is kind of that we have a whole bunch of different important points or uh, important lessons even, and they kind of each rule, one rules into the next. So what I want to talk about is after what you've just described, Jordana, our Gemara goes back to what we had in the Mishnah yesterday in terms of this idea that you can move your baskets of produce, right, for the sake of the guests, right? So then there's a whole big discussion about about hospitality, and then that rolls into a whole new topic, so to speak, a new section, which lo and behold talks about, you know, includes the discussion of hospitality without being a focus on it, and is a very, very famous piece that, you know, our 
our co-learners will certainly recognize. I'm Rav Yehuda Barshila. I'm Rav Asi. I'm Rav Yochanan. Shisha Dvarim Adam Ochel Perutei Bolam Hazeh Vakaren Kayemet Lo Leolam Haba. There are six things that a person eats the fruits of them, of these things, in this world. And the principle of them, right, the real benefit, is established for that person in Olam Haba, in the world to come. Ve'elohim. And here's the list. Hachnasat Orchim. And there's the connection, right? Hospitality. Welcoming of guests, which goes back to the Gemara's discussion of Hachnasat Orchim, which is really, you know, elaborating or fleshing out the Mishnah from yesterday. Right? So it's all of a piece, but but it kind of, you know, as I said, one one element rolls into another thing because this whole idea of the shishad varim is not exactly what I would have found. I would not necessarily jump to that from yesterday's Mishnah, let's say. Right? It's not the expected commentary on what does it mean. It's a it's a jump into a new section, which is again like a an ethical point or or uh, you know something philosophical here basically in terms of how we evaluate if we're going to evaluate the mis- the mitzvot that we have okay so and then next on the list visiting the sick delving into prayer right getting up and you know getting yourself to the study hall to learn torah somebody raises his children to learn torah and one who judges his friend favorably, right? Who gives somebody the benefit of the doubt. Now, these are not, we could spend a long time talking about each one of these six elements, right? They are not the same. And that's part of what becomes interesting if you want to think about it. these are the six things that you earn, you know, you have some benefit in this world, but really you get the benefit in the coming to world, whatever that itself means, right? These are fundamentally mitzvot, and they are largely mitzvot ben adam lemakom. They are mitzvot that a person fulfills between himself, herself as a case maybe, and God, right? I, but but they have a, a communal element. The fact that you have hachnasat orchim, so on the one hand, you're doing a mitzvah that welcomes guests to somebody else, right? That's your, your handling, your guests, right? Bikor Cholim, visiting the sick. These seem to be um, a matter of between man and man, right? Or between humankind. And then, and then lo and behold, there we are delving into Tfilah. So I want to, you know, we want to talk about what are the common denominators between these six things. I think that there is an element that we are providing kavod, you're giving kavod to other members of humanity, I think that there's an aspect of that which is also recognizing, if not, if I'm not getting too philosophical here, which is recognizing you know, the divine in everything that we do, because that's what, to me, that seems to be what runs through this. Which again, sounds like it's um you know, human focused mitzvot, and yet I think that it also is about giving kavot, giving honor to the mitzvah or the Torah, in fact, of God. And then, lastly, and this again seems to be very much ben adam chavero, so perhaps you want to just ben adam chavero, adana at chavero lekafskut, one who judges his friend of another person favorably. The reason I want to say that this is about really about giving honor to God is that the idea that we get only the the 
that the real principle of the matter of the reward for these things comes in the world to come. That's pat. That's after Ben Adam situations, right? That's we only benefit in our human interactions in this world. In the next world, which is what this statement is all about, right? That's really the province of God's reward to each person who does it. So I think that there's a lot. There's a, a wealth to. Uh, of, uh, you know, whatever lesson here of, of value laid, um, importing the, the different values of mitzvot here. And I think that it gets very complicated to, to, to try to say, well, how, you know, why, why are these six things on the list of what else could be or should be? And the Gemara, you know, of course, jumps right on it. Eni, the Gemara says, is that so? Didn't we learn in the Mishnah? There's another list, right? That these that a person does these things in this world. Where you eat the fruit in this world, and the benefit, the main principle is in the coming world. And here we have a different list. So what are these? Honoring your parents. Doing chesed, making peace between people, but Talmud Torah connected kulam and learning Torah um, is greater than or corresponds to any of these, all of these. And so the Gemara says, yes, yes. For these things, the implication is these things you get the Karen Kayemet Lola Lamhaba. That the implication is not that there's another list out there. It's specific. These are the six things. Or, or several things, really. So <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting machlokas, right? What are the practices? What are the mitzvot for which we get our, our main benefit in the world to come, as opposed to just in this world? And there's like a, let's fight it out over what these different things are. I find this to be particularly interesting because, again, like it, the list all seems to be, not all, primarily seems to be Ben Adam kind of situations, right? Doing chesed is certainly a Ben Adam kind of situation. It seems to me that the Gemara here is promising that you take care of your Ben Adam situations, you take care of your interpersonal human interactions, and you will get your main benefit in the world to come, which I think, again, I think is a, a profound statement or a profound, you know, musr, uh, an ethical point to how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. The fact that it ends off with right, that somebody who judges the fellow person favorably, right, kind of elevates the whole interaction of every kind of human human interpersonal relationship. Where the idea is, you would think that people just conduct themselves fine, right? But no, no, no. There's a mitzvah to to stop and make sure that you are giving your fellow person the benefit of the doubt. And the idea that that is its own mitzvah, it's its own category here in the list of the six, not in the second list, um, I think also speaks to this question of, of what does it mean for us to be interacting on the human level in olam hazeh and then getting that benefit, right? What does it mean to, to get the benefit done? You would think that that would be in this world. And then the Gemara here says, no, no, it's in the coming world. I feel like I have spoken around what I really want to say here, but I'm hoping that our learners will, you know, as you delve into this this kind of these lists themselves and figure out, you know, why are these things here and why are other things not here and so on, 
Um, I hope that it will become at least as clear as I'm trying to make it be now. Yeah, it was clear. But um, I just okay. go back to one thing that you said, where you said, you know, maybe these are things where it's sort of like man is in partnership, even though pieces of it are ben adam but man is in partnership with God when he does those things. And I see we I think we see a hint to that with that story that they tell about, um, you know, when they actually go through saying that it's, you know, greater to do haknasat or chim than even to study Torah. Um, and they tell this story, you know, they, they quote this teaching from Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rab, right? That it's uh, using Avraham as an example, right? That Avraham, uh, you know, basically tells Hashem, you know, like you Hashem, you wait for me so I could do the mitzvah of haknasat or chim. And then Rabbi Elazar comments on this. He says, you know, see how Hashem is not like, doesn't have the same traits as like a basar vadam as a person, right? Because with humans, you can never tell, a, you know, a, a katan can't tell a gadol, you know, to hold on a, a minute, right? But here, Abraham was able to tell Hashem, right? Presumably that Abraham is the katan and Hashem is the gadol. He could tell Hashem to wait a minute. So I think that's even hinted to in the text itself, right? That this really, the mitzvah, that's how Hashem did his partnership in Haknasar Rechim, that Hashem was willing to wait for Abraham to actually finish doing that mitzvah. Thank you for, for helping me out there. I really, I, you know, yes, I think that that's exactly right. I think that there's, the dynamic here is, I, I, think, it's in, I think it's both complicated and also encouraging, right? I think that's part of the point. Yeah. But what I want to say here, Dana, is also that now, right, in this list, we end up with this Dan L'Chavschut point, right, that to give someone the benefit of the doubt, which the Gemara then, you know, takes that, as I said, each point kind of rolls into the next one. And now there's a whole big section on Dan L'Chavschut, right. which so, I will hand over to you. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, basically, there's three stories here. I'm not going to read each story. Um, but it's interesting to see that, like, each story has sort of a totally... Uh, different set of circumstances, right? The first story is, you know, somebody who, um, a person who went to the South to work and, you know, it was right before basically Yom Kippur and he wanted to go back to his family basically for the Chagim. And, you know, the the person he worked for says, I can't pay you now. Um, and, um, you know, after Sukkot, he basically, the, 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 the Baal, basically the Baal Habayit goes up, presumably up North, and, you know, gives the worker, you know, what he deserved for having done all this work. Um, and, you know, there's sort of the, and, and here the story is, which is interesting, this like small detail here, which is that basically the homeowner, the Balabayat, wanted to give away all of his possessions because he had this son, Herkinus, who doesn't, basically wasn't a good kid and he didn't really want to let him inherit. Um, the next story is one with a Hasid, so that's, you know, one type of Don Lekavskut, right? And it's interesting where it's like the employer is, you know, who is the person who we had to be Don Lekavskut to, not the, uh, not the employee. The second story is one with a Hasid, right? Presumably somebody went to go do a great mitzvah, which was Pijon Shfuim. And sort of that, you know, he stayed in a room with this woman overnight. And that, you know, people could have, uh, you know, his students at least could have said, you know, suspected him of something inappropriate. Um, and then the last story is specifically with Rabbi Yoshua, that Rabbi Yoshua goes to meet with a non-Jewish woman. So first of all, I think just the whole setup of that story is fascinating, that he's going to this non-Jewish woman to get some advice about how to handle the Roman government. 
Um, and the, you know, that little halachic point that's in there is that part of the, why he ends up going to the mikvah, right. Or the Dan Lakab's hood is that maybe when they were speaking, there was some, some of her spit landed on him and a non-Jew spit, it has the same status or can make you like a Zav. Um, but what I think is interesting here is that it's taking three totally different scenarios. Okay. One being a scenario of, you know, a working relationship, like between an employer and an employee. Um, the second being a scenario of a righteous person who's doing a mitzvah, right? We're often like, I could see where, you know, so sorry, let me backtrack. So I think that's sort of like a type of relationship where like the employee doesn't really always give their employer the benefit of the doubt, right? You want to get paid. It can be a very contentious relationship, right? Then we have the story of the chassid, uh, you know, where somebody does a mitzvah, and sometimes when people do good things or do things in public, you know, people sometimes a little bit look for, well, what didn't they do right in this situation? You know, maybe their motivations for doing this weren't really totally true, right? It, you know, or their intent wasn't totally pure. That's the word that I'm looking for. And then the third situation, you know, is I think where we see like a leader, right? Like Rabbi Yehoshua sort of engage in politics. And also I think our sort of go-to um, is, uh, you know, like, okay, maybe they didn't behave exactly or, you know, to get what he wanted from this woman, maybe he had to do something he shouldn't have done. And I guess when I read these stories, I tend to actually be a relatively pretty cynical person. I think the essence of Don Lekavshut is to not be a cynical person, is to like really assume positivity about most people. Um, in today's world, that's increasingly harder for me to do, but I really felt like there was a real moral lesson on this page where it sort of takes three very typical uh, types of examples where I think it's very easy to be cynical um, and is really telling you to sort of like, no, you should be Don Lekavshut. And almost in a way, there's like a naivete, I think, about being Don Lekavshut, right? Like, it is strange to see a Hasid, you know, in a room with a, with a woman. But, you know, this is really telling you like, no, people really have their reasons for behaving and acting a certain way. And it's your job as the observer to really figure out and think about like why their behavior actually was okay. And that don't think so cynically all the time. Um, so I always say, and I think I've even said it on the podcast, right? That if, if everybody would be done, then nobody would have to worry about married to Ayan. Then we would never have to worry about, does this look wrong? And vice versa. If everybody worried about whether what they're doing looks wrong, then we would never have any cause to be done. Yeah. I think that's a great way to say it. But um, yeah, I think that you're exactly right, that this idea of being done with is we have to, you know, we, we end up either in anarchy or rigidity, right? The flip side, if we aren't able to establish kind of strictures of how to conduct ourselves with each other and to get, there has to be a certain amount of give within the fabric of society, which allows us to say like, okay, that may have looked wrong, but clearly it wasn't wrong. Um, there's, one of Chanukh Teller, Rabbi Chanukh Teller, who tells stories, right? He has this book called, uh, I don't remember which one it is, so I don't want to, I don't want to mischaracterize it. But one of his books is about people being dan chavzchut, people giving each other the benefit of the doubt. And it's one of those things where, you know, they're stories, right? So, so you feel like, okay, this couldn't really be. And, but I believe that he's, you know, he's not, um, he's not making them up, right? The idea that people discovered that the wackiest way that they could come up with that they had to kind of jump through hoops to be able to give the benefit of the doubt. And then lo and behold, that was exactly what had happened. And it's 
it's kind of ironic because you think like it shouldn't take that much except for you know what even if it does so get, and even if you're wrong and this is i think an, an another important point that people kind of miss with it being done with giving the benefit of the doubt even if you're wrong then what you have still done is a is a shalom um oriented kind of of thing right if you judge somebody favorably and you are wrong and they really didn't deserve it okay so like how bad is that right you know you're not the court right we're talking about human interactions so so you're wrong so you gave them benefit of the doubt when they didn't deserve it and now that's even like a nicer level of interaction between the two of you and maybe that will you know spur better behavior in the future who knows it's not for us to be done it's not for us to decide to judge someone harshly and one last thing i just the other thing that i think is amazing about those stories is that it goes through like the person's train of thought of like what, how they justified being Dan Lekafskud. And then the person always responds says, yes, that's exactly what happened. It's exactly as you thought it was, which I think is another lesson of telling us like things are usually, I don't know that more simple is the story, but like most people are good and try to be good. And like, therefore always look for like what the good and plausible explanation is. And don't look for like what the bad explanation could be for, for particular behaviors. Right. Okay. So now I just want to close off here, right? You, one of the cases, um, your data that you mentioned is where somebody owes, where there's an employer who owes wages to his day worker, right? And as I said, again, it rolls into the next bit, right? So it happens to be that this was about the time of the festival, which is Haregel, which is Sukkot. And the the homeowner, the person who did the hiring, right, the balabayat, took the worker's wages in his hand, the and he took it with uh, the amount of burden that required three donkeys. So one has one donkey is loaded up with food and one with drink and one with all kinds of you know desserty things. Um, and he goes to the worker's house. So they ate and they drank and then he gives him his wages. Amarlo. So the the Balabai, it says to the worker, When at that time when you said, "Give me my wages," and I said, "I don't have any money." What did you suspect me of? Right when I said I have no money, Amarti Shema Prakmatia. Right, so the worker says, well, he said, maybe, and this is, again, it comes back to your situation, your data. He says, perhaps you had an opportunity, and so you were short on, and you took it, and you were short on cash, right? And so on. And it goes through this whole thing. They have this whole long, you know, interaction. What what did you think of when I said this? And what did you think of me when I said that? Though, I, the reason I want to go through this is not just the Dantchavskut piece, which I think your Danny already addressed very nicely, but there's a presumption, there's a mitzvah that you're supposed to pay your day laborer on time, right? On time means that day, at the end of the day of the of the labor. And this is a, it's a hardship, I think, very often in, what do we call it? You know, um, employer-employee dynamics, right? What happens when the employer doesn't have the cash on hand? So, and it's, you know, again, it violates the mitzvah of paying your person on time, your worker on time, but also what's the worker supposed to think? And I think that this kind of turns it all on its head in a very interesting way where 
instead of it simply being, you know, a matter of employment law, we see this dynamic is very much the interpersonal where even the worker can be of the employer for the sake of, you know, even though he's the, again, the balabayit is really messing up this, this myth of paying on time. Yeah, no, I think there's right. I think that story in particular really has sort of two lessons there. It's on the Kavslut and also the importance of paying your workers in that way. Uh, so I think we've run out of time here. That's our top for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Tarber for hosting us um, on the Hadram website. Uh, let us know what you thought about today's top and some of the ethical situations that it brings up and discussion of some important mitzvot. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank <music> you.